studying of, of Hebrews chapter 10. I want to finish uh, that chapter um, this evening. And so, um, so yeah, so I thank you for, um, for watching, for joining in, you guys. Um, and we'll get started on the... Um, on our Bible study tonight. So I'm going to open in prayer. And and as I said, I, I really would appreciate your prayers um, because I felt fine. And then uh, I found out I had just a little bit of a temperature. And of course, um, Satan's been just attacking my mind, you know. And um, so I know God did not give us a spirit of fear. Um, so I'm not afraid. Um, also, I don't feel like I have any type of a virus. Um, but I, I do appreciate your prayers. And so let's open in a word of prayer and you can get your copy of God's word. I want to finish Hebrews chapter 10. So we'll start at verse 19 and go through um, uh, the last verse, which is verse 39. So let's pray and then we'll get started. Uh, most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity. Uh, Lord, there's just something about being in your word that, uh, that we should crave. And so, Lord, uh, tonight I just pray you speak to us through your word. Uh, we're taught that your word uh, accomplishes always what it's meant to accomplish. It never returns void. And so tonight, Lord, we just ask that you speak to our hearts and our minds. Uh, as we continue our study in this beautifully written book, the book of Hebrews, uh, I pray, Lord, you just give us clarity of understanding that we would know this book better. But, uh, but most importantly, we might know you better in a deeper and a more intimate relationship so speak to us through your word tonight. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so it's good to see you all. And so we're just going to kind of jump in. We're in, in verse um, 19. And uh, again, I do appreciate your prayers. And so just ask that, um, uh, again, I'm going to wait till in the morning. And if I still have a little fever, then I'll go get checked out. But um, uh, thank the Lord. We've been practicing social distancing and things at the church. And so haven't really been up in anyone's face. And uh, I definitely haven't had any of the symptoms that would make um, the, the virus uh, so um, easily spreadable. And so just ask that, uh, again, pray for me, uh, but uh, I'm grateful. So I don't think anyone has anything to worry about, uh, but uh, I will uh, kind of keep you all updated and informed um, uh, to how this very, very low-grade fever uh, is doing. So let's look at verse 19 in chapter uh, 10 of the book of Hebrews. And as you turn there and we look, let me give you a couple of dates that I think are important to understanding the book of Hebrews. So typically the dating for the book of Hebrews is that it was written somewhere between uh, maybe 65 and 68 uh, AD or AD 65 to 68. That's an important date because the temple was destroyed in AD 70. And so the book of Hebrews is written um, a couple years probably before the Romans destroyed the temple. And so all through the book of Hebrews, it's, it's, um, its teaching is being taught in a time where the temple is still in practice. And so the people were still coming to make sacrifices at the temple. Uh, people were going and going through the ceremonial law to purify themselves to go into the temple courtyards. And so what we've been looking at the last couple chapters is how um, the relationship we have through Christ um, is so much greater than um, the Old Testament. It's so much better than the Old Covenant. It's superior to that. And so um, the writer talks about the temple being just a shadow of the reality of God's heavenly temple. 
Um, and so I think it's important to realize this book's written before the destruction of the temple. Uh, we read other books and we see evidence of, of their writing being after the temple, and they address some of those things like um, uh, what it means to be the temple of God and how um, through Christ Jesus we have become literal our bodies have become the temple of, of the Holy Spirit of God, and so God lives and reigns and dwells within the heart of each believer. Um, so just want to kind of remind you of that, that dating, and so now we'll jump into uh, verse 19. Uh, Therefore, brothers and sisters, uh, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, now remember, we're not talking about uh, the physical sanctuary. We're not talking about going into the the temple in Jerusalem uh, there on the mount, the temple mount. We're talking about going into the presence of the throne room of, of God, this heaven reality that the earthly temple is just a shadow of. So I think looking at the earthly temple gives us a picture of, uh, a shadow of, an example of um, the reality of the true temple of God, the the true dwelling place of God, and that, of course, being uh, in, in the heavens. And so now it says, therefore, brothers, we, we boldly enter into the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus. And, and so this is the notion. Uh, the, the temple complex, uh, there was only one who would go into the most holy place um, once a year to make um, the sacrificial offering for the people. And so the, the high priest would make two offerings. He would make one offering for himself and his own sin, and then he would make an offering for the sin of the people. And, and so they could not approach the throne of, or the most holy place in the literal temple in the old system, in the old covenant, as we see throughout the tabernacle given to Moses, outlined uh, by Moses, given to him on Mount Sinai by God, and then into the Solomonic temple that Solomon built and the Herodian temple that Herod builds later. And so this is talking about literally entering into the presence of uh, of God, into the heavenlies. And so this notion that um, for 1,500 years, uh, roughly, I guess, uh, the, the Israelites had someone who would go in and represent them, but they could not enter the temple themselves. And so it was kind of this always, there was a go-between between the people and God. Now, what Jesus Christ did is he came and he became our go-between. And, and so now, since Christ is the one who mediates between us and God, our go-between to God, we can enter boldly into the very presence of God. And this, according to the writer of Hebrews, this this demonstrates the supremacy and the preeminence of the new covenant and the new testament in the body through the shed blood of jesus christ by his death his burial his resurrection it is so much greater than having some man go in and make an offering uh, before god in the temple and it's something totally different for christ to sacrifice himself be seated at the right hand of the father and now we get to approach the very throne of god boldly even imagine this in the past, they couldn't enter into the sanctuary. Someone had to enter in on their behalf and offer sacrifice. But Jesus Christ offered sacrifice once and for all, now seated at the right hand of God, and now we're able to approach the very throne of God in Christ Jesus, right? Not in ourselves, not in our own worth, not in our own righteousness, but in the, in the worth and righteousness we have, the position we have in Christ Jesus. And so I'm a believer 
I put my faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, who died as my sacrifice and now is seated at the right hand of the Father to mediate between me and God. Now I can enter boldly into the very throne room of God. And, and so the writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, verse 20 picks up, he has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. So remember there was a huge curtain, and, and so uh, I haven't studied the, uh, the layout of the, the temple and the tabernacle in, in a while. But roughly speaking, you had a curtain that was um, estimated maybe somewhere between 12, uh, between one foot and, and maybe even two foot thick. And this curtain separated the most holy place from the holy of holies. And so the, uh, when the high priest would go into this place once a year, they would tie a rope around him because if he entered and, uh, in a manner that was unworthy, he would not live. The, to, to be in the very presence of God and not have already sought God for his forgiveness and for his righteousness through sacrificial system, the high priest could literally die and they would have to drag him out by the rope that they had tied around him. That curtain has been destroyed now. That curtain has been torn down. In fact, we kind of get a glimpse of this, that at the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're, we're told that the curtain or the veil that separated the most holy place, the Holy of Holies, was torn in two, was ripped because the Lord Jesus Christ, through his sacrifice, destroyed everything that might separate us physically from God. And so the Lord Jesus Christ, through his blood and through him being the, the perfect lamb sacrificed for our sin, now the curtain has been removed. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying to us, listen, he has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain. And so now the curtain has been torn, the veil has been removed, and now we come directly into the very presence and throne room of God. Uh, verse 21 says, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, our, our high priest, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. So out, <clears throat> I think it's important outside the temple complex, there were these, uh, they're called mikvahs. I believe I'm, I've got my Hebrew words right. This mikvah uh, was a bath. So it, it, it looks a lot like our baptismals today in, in at least most Baptist churches where you walk down into the water. And so there was this ceremonial cleaning, right? So when the people would come to the temple complex, they would go down into the mikvah, into the water, submerge themselves in the water, purify themselves, before they even went into the temple complex. Uh, in the same way, the blood of Jesus, uh, having been um, spilt for us and then sprinkled upon us, you'll remember that when Moses, um, I, I guess, initiated the use of the tabernacle, that it was done through the blood and sacrifice of animals. And not only was the blood shed in the tabernacle, but the, the blood was sprinkled on the people um, to represent and demonstrate God's forgiveness of sins if they repented 
and brought the right sacrifice, had faith in the sacrificial system. And remember that in the Old Testament, that sacrificial system is pointing to the New Testament where Jesus Christ is the ultimate sacrifice. So even in the Old Testament, their faith is in the sacrifice that is to come through the perfect Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. But these people go down into the mikvah and ceremonially they would wash themselves and be clean so they could go in to approach the temple of God in the temple complex, uh, having uh, went through the ritual of cleaning themselves. We don't have to do that because what Jesus Christ did on our behalf, right, he has washed us of our sins by the sprinkling, and uh, this was back a couple chapters ago and even up through uh, the beginning of chapter 10, that what Jesus Christ did on the cross, that we literally are sprinkled by the blood of the perfect sacrifice, that we have been washed clean. Uh, Remember, Jesus goes to John the Baptist to be baptized, and uh, John's basically saying, um, hold on, the one who, who comes, I'm not even worthy to basically take his shoes off And rather than me baptizing him, he should baptize me. John answering the Pharisees before that, they want to know, John, who are you? Um, And John is telling them one that is to come. And John says, I baptize you with water, but the one coming will baptize you um, in the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And so so through our, uh, the process of coming to justification, uh, Christ's blood is sprinkled upon our hearts. The Holy Spirit of God comes to indwell and uh, to live within the believer. And so we have been washed clean. We have been purified. And so we can approach the throne of God boldly into the sanctuary of God. And verse 22 says that we can do this. Let us draw near because we have a true heart and full assurance of faith. Our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. This is the result of the crucifixion, the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, his sacrificial death. His, he, he became my propitiation. He paid for my sin in full. It's substitutionary atonement. He, he became my substitute. And so that which I never could do, he did for me. And so this is what the writer is talking about in verse 22. Uh, verse 23 says, let us hold, hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering since He who promised is faithful. And so our hope of going boldly into the very presence of God, our hope of being forever in the presence of God, our our hope of being called children of God and the chosen of God, all those things are not only given but secured in the work that the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. And so my salvation doesn't hinge on um, me keeping myself saved, but it hinges on the work of the Lord Jesus Christ that preserves my salvation. Once I put my faith and my trust in him, once once he's called me out of the old man into the new, once he's called me from uh, who I used to be, that man died and, and I became a, a new creation in Christ Jesus. And he is faithful. And, and so we can continue to enter boldly into the very throne room of God, the very sanctuary of God, uh, because we have faith without wavering in the hope that is found only in Jesus Christ. And so verse 24 picks up and says, let us not watch up and let us watch out for one another. All right, so we're to be caretakers of one another. 
All right, um, this doesn't mean that we're to be the Holy Spirit for other people. Like the the Holy Spirit does the work of conviction. Uh, when I see someone living a dangerous lifestyle, a brother or sister, then in love, uh, the Bible spurs me on to build them up and encourage them and to warn them. If I see something in their life that is going to lead to destruction or lead them down a road they really don't want to go down, that's not me playing the, the part of being the judge of the world, which Christ Jesus um, is. It's not me playing God. It's me being a good, loving brother and sister uh, to my brothers and sisters. Uh, but we are to, it says, not on, let us uh, watch out for one another to provoke love and good works, 25, not neglecting together together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. And so the writer of Hebrews here says, we, we should not forsake coming together because when we come together, we're provoking one another toward love and to good works. And so it's so important and crucial for the, the body of Christ to gather together with other believers. Um, and so we're not to neglect uh, coming together, and we need to even do more so. Uh, we need to uh, be fully committed as we see the day approaching of the Lord Jesus Christ, of his imminent return of him coming back as King of Kings and, and Lord of Lords. As we get closer and we draw closer to that day. And you may ask, well, Pastor, how do you believe we're, we're closer to um, the return of the Lord Jesus Christ? My answer would be, well, we are one day closer than we were yesterday. And so uh, no question that each and every day that passes, we are uh, growing closer to the time of the Lord's return. He doesn't tell us a specific time, although Scripture does identify some things that we should be on the look for and on guard about. And as that day approaches, as we're getting closer and closer to the imminent return of the Lord Jesus, then it should cause us uh, to recommit ourselves to gathering together in God's house with other believers. It should also encourage and spur us on to reach out to those who are lost and hurting and dying. And if the uh, apart from the work of the Holy Spirit of God opening their eyes and opening their hearts to see their need for Jesus there on their way to eternal destruction in a place that Scripture calls hell. And so if we really love people as Christians, men, we've got to be about sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've got to be about loving people enough to share Jesus with them. Because if we believe the only way to heaven is through Christ, and we have people that we love and care about who have not put their faith and trust in Christ, then how can we say we love them if we're not willing to stop and to share with them, to spur them on, to encourage them, uh, to begin to analyze their life in light of not uh, being in Christ? And remember that the position that we have, the position of being in Christ, is essential to spending eternity in the presence of God. And so apart from any other position, if I am not in Christ, then um, uh, my security, uh, eternal security is, is not found. It, it can only be found in a relationship where the Lord Jesus Christ really is the Lord of my life and I've surrendered myself to him. Uh, uh, the writer then begins to warn about deliberate sin. I think this is so important uh, that we talk about the, the notion of, People willfully and knowingly living in sin. 
there, there's a difference between saying well, that all people, uh, that we're not perfect, that we make mistakes, and that we'll find ourselves where we've committed sins in our life. Um, usually it's after the fact, right? I mean, we realize, wow, I, I shouldn't have said what I said. I shouldn't have used that tone with that person. I, I should have done some things. So sins of omission where God's called me to do things and I've failed to do those things for God, where God's called me to maybe share the gospel with someone and I've gotten so busy and tied up that I, I don't get around to it. That That's a sin of omission, a sin where I didn't do what I should have done. And then there's sins of commission, which are where I sin because I've done something against the will of God. And, and so the, what the writer of Hebrews is going to address here is deliberate sin. It's not when we mess up and we, we realize, wow, I, I blew it. It's when we deliberately sin. And so verse 26 says, For if we deliberately go on sinning after receiving the knowledge of truth. So make sure you see this picture here that's being painted by the writer of Hebrews, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. If you deliberately go on sinning, after you've come to the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, after you have heard the truth, what is the truth? Jesus Christ said, I'm the truth. That I'm the truth, the way, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So if we uh, come to know Christ and the truth in Christ, and then we deliberately go on sinning, then uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26 says, um, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Uh, essentially, here's what it's saying. That, that's not what Christ died for. Christ didn't die for us to use him as like fire insurance to hopefully not get to hell. It, it, Christ didn't die for us so that we can go on sinning. Uh, Christ died for us to deliver us from sin. So, so make sure you hear what the clarity uh, of the right Hebrews is saying here, what he's clarifying and what, what he's making abundantly clear is Christ did not die so that we could be saved and then continue to live in sin. Christ died so that we might be able to be free from the sin in our life, that he might deliver us from, from sin that we find in our life. Uh, verse 27, uh, But a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of fire about to consume the adversaries. Anyone who disregarded the law of Moses died without mercy based on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think one will deserve who has trampled on the Son of God, who has regarded as profane the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know the one who said, Vengeance belongs to me, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. And so I think it's just important to, to warn all Christians and to remind us all that we have not been called so that we might remain in sin. We've been called out of sin. Are we perfect? No, we're not perfect. If we were perfect, we'd be a bunch of little Jesus Christ running around everywhere. The church is not perfect. The people are, are not perfect. But there's a difference between falling short and deliberately living in sin. And this is what the writer of Hebrews is bringing out and, 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 and really spurring us to, to think about. And so God said, vengeance belongs to me and I'll repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. That is based on those living deliberately in sinfulness. So sometimes I'm asked by people, um, if, I'm, if I'm living with 
someone can uh, can I be saved and live in a relationship outside of marriage with another person? And the answer is that this sounds a whole lot. It sounds very much like deliberate sin, uh, like uh, calculating how you're going to live your life in opposition to what God's word says. And so for me, I just simply tell you, I believe it's very dangerous uh, to, um, to be comfortable living in, um, open sinfulness, I guess is one way to say it. And, and so I want to encourage you to do to examine your life and, and to look and see God. Are there some things I've really compromised on because I just, um, I'm not willing to change those things in my life. Uh, are there some things I need to address now, God, that it, it's, it's clear to me, um, that I need to stop living in this sin. And so if that's the case, uh, remember that God's faithful to forgive if we're faithful to confess our sins and to turn from our sins. And, uh, and so that's what the writer of Hebrews is really saying to us is be careful about living in deliberate sin against God. Because when you do that, you're, you're making profane the death and burial of our Lord Jesus Christ. It, it's like us saying, Jesus died and that's good enough to save me from hell, but it's not enough to save me from sin. The truth is the death of the Lord Jesus Christ um, not only saves me from hell, but delivers me from sin. And so with every sin and temptation that comes my way, God has prepared a way out in Christ Jesus in that position in him. Uh, verse 31, uh, it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Again, it is dangerous to consider yourself and to call yourself a child of God and then live deliberately in sinfulness and rebellion against God. Uh, it's a scary thing, and it ought, it ought to scare us. Um, the, this, the writer of Hebrews is not talking about perfection and being perfect. The writer of Hebrews is talking about there's a difference between failing, really trying to live right, and finding that I fail time and time again. That's different than just deliberately li living in sin. And so I, I pray that God would just encourage our hearts. So remember that it's the work of Christ that keeps us saved. And, and so both can be true. Uh, both can be true that Christ has saved me from my sin and it is the work of Christ that keeps me saved while at the same time, I can't continue to deliberately li live in sin. And so both of those are true at the same time. As a Christian, I cannot continue to deliberately live in sinfulness. Not as a Christian. Why? Because the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of me. I'm a new man, a new creation, a new creature. He's taken my heart of stone and given me a heart of flesh, Ezekiel 36, 26 says. And so now that I have this heart of flesh, then I not only... Do I not want to sin? But when I sin, it breaks my heart to know that I've sinned against God. And this is true of all believers. Verse 32, remember the earlier days when after you had been enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to taunts and afflictions. And at other times you were companions of those who were treated that way. For you sympathized with the prisoners and accepted with joy the confiscation of your possessions because you knew what you yourselves have. Uh, you knew that you yourself have a better and enduring possession. What, what's this new and better enduring possession? 
And so what the writer's saying is, boy, the Christians, you face persecution and, and you've faced inequities where um, things have been taken away from you. Uh, where opportunities that should have been open for all people have been, you've been robbed of certain opportunities. Um, but think about that enduring gift and possession you've been given. What is that enduring gift? It, it's Christ Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit of God living within me. And, and so here's the deal. Whatever it is on this side of eternity that I, I find myself losing, uh, that I find is not fair, none of that compares to what I have in Christ Jesus. Yeah, just let me say that one more time. You can take away everything I have as a man, all my possessions, and none of those possessions compare to what it means to have Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, to have the very Holy Spirit of God living within us, to be able to enter into the sanctuary of the one true living God boldly. Verse 35 says, So don't throw away your confidence, which has a great re reward, for you need endurance, so that after you have done God's will, you may receive what was promised. Hang in there. This is what the right people are saying. Just listen, hang in there, brothers and sisters. That which you've been promised in Christ Jesus is going to take place. It's, it's going to come to fruition. Hang in there. Don't give up. Be patient. Be willing to wait for what God has in store for you. 36 again, for you need endurance so that after you've done God's will, you may receive what was promised. And so we pray for endurance from God. God, give me the endurance. Give me the ability to just hang in there, to stay the course. Verse 37 through 39, we finish. For yet in a very little while, the coming one will come and not delay. Here's the deal. The Lord Jesus is coming back. And when the time comes for him to return, there is nothing that will delay it. There is nothing that will stop it. 38 says, but my righteous one will live by faith. And if he draws back, I have no pleasure in him. So here's the idea. We can't, we can't hold out on God, right? We're either 100% committed to Jesus Christ being the Lord of our life. The, the king of kings, the suffering servant, the, the son of God, the son of man. But we can't hold out on God. What does God expect for us when we come before his throne as children of God? What does God expect when, when I'm saved? And the answer is he expects my all. He expects my everything. And so the writer of Hebrews here in verse 38 is saying, uh, to, the, to the righteous one, to my righteous one uh, that lives by faith, just hang on and hang in there. But, but God takes no delight and no pleasure in the one who holds out on God. And so uh, you, you can't be in right relationship with God while you're holding out on God. It has to be complete surrender and complete submission. And when you do that, you find yourself with complete freedom, complete joy, complete peace in God. Verse 39 ends chapter 10. But we are not those who draw back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and are saved. And this is an excellent note to end our study on tonight. Because what we find is to those who 
endure to the end. Uh, to those who hold nothing back from God. To those who live a life of submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. To those, he's promised to never leave us, never forsake us. He's promised to give us peace that passes understanding. He's promised to love us with an undying, unfailing, and unconditional love. To deal with us mercifully. And so those who hold back from God, those who draw back from God, unless the Holy Spirit changes their hearts and their minds and opens their eyes to the fact that you can't halfway be saved. You, you can't give God half of who you are. You can't make half a profession and half a commitment. That's holding back. What, what has to be done is is 100% of who I am now belongs to Christ. My identity is in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone. And if that's where we are tonight, if we can honestly say that everything we are and everything that we have, it all belongs to God. It could all be taken away and my faith and my trust would still be in Christ. My identity would still be found in Christ Jesus. To those people, according to this last verse, God declares, these are saved. These are my children. These are my people. But to those who are willing to hold back from God, to draw back from God, to only seem to make uh, a nominal um, submission to God in name only, right? It's not enough just to say you're a Christian. There actually has to be work of the Holy Spirit done to change my heart of stone and to turn it into a new heart, a heart of flesh. And if that happens, I'm saved. Friend, if that hasn't happened, then verse 39 says that those who draw back are destroyed. And so, boy, we have this um, uh, Hebrews 10, beautiful passage that is um, exhorting us to godliness, to live in a godly manner and to to love God with all heart, soul, mind, to love our neighbor as ourself, to submit and yield everything we have to God as the Lord of our life. All right, He is our kurios, the Greek word for Lord, and we are his doulos, his servants. And that, that is the nature of the relationship between um, Christians and God, uh, Christians and our Savior. And if that's not the case, if we've held out and we've drew back and we haven't, a, and the Lord Jesus is not the king of our life, if, if we don't consider ourselves to be his servants, is literally the word there um, is what is typically uh, translated slave. If we are not willing to give everything up, all the freedoms we think we have, all the possessions that we think we have, if we're holding those things out and, and we're pulling those things back from God, then then it, it's to our destruction because um, you can't give yourself halfway to God. Right? Relationship and intimacy with God through the Lord Jesus Christ requires full commitment to him. And so maybe you've been in church your whole life. Maybe you've been a member and a part of a great Bible teaching church. But maybe the truth is, if you were honest with yourself tonight, the truth is you've never really made a a profession of faith where you've given everything that you have and everything that you are completely to Christ Jesus so that you might be saved. Because for those who hold back and pull back, 
It's not salvation that awaits them. It's destruction that awaits them, according to Hebrews 10, verse 39. So I pray tonight that God would just speak to your hearts, that the Holy Spirit of God would comfort your heart and your mind. I ask you again to uh, to say a word of prayer for me. Uh, if you came in late, um, I started running just a low-grade fever this afternoon. Um, I do not have any other symptoms of, of anything, so I don't have a, a runny nose. I'm not coughing. I don't have a sore throat. Uh, no sneezing or anything like that. Just um, just a real low-grade fever, about 100.2. And... Um, and so I've taken some some Advil, and, and and actually I feel I feel like my my temperatures even come down now to probably uh, where I don't have a a fever. Uh, but if the if the fever returns um, tonight and and tomorrow, then um, then I'll be uh, just going to get checked out as a precaution. And so again, this this didn't start until uh, right before church tonight, and that's why I'm not in our sanctuary, not at our church, uh, but had to come home. Um, just to have an abundance of caution. Um, I di- didn't really. Uh, we've been, of course, we've tried not to get really close and interact on um, on a basis where um, even if we had something that we would be spreading it to other people. And so, since I, I have no cough and I have no runny nose or sneezing or anything like that going on, uh, I pray that with the precautions we've taken, then then. Um, one, uh, just pray that this be nothing, just uh, some sinuses and things like that that's caused me just to, to have, you know, a little cold type thing. Um, but if not, God's in control, and uh, and we'll get checked out tomorrow and make sure that, that everything's good. Um, so I, God bless you. Uh, please, uh, please pray for me and my family. Again, I don't think there's anything to be concerned about. Um, but uh, But I can always use the prayers, amen, too, if you would. Uh, say a special prayer for me tonight and, and lift my family up. Uh, again, when I took medication, I've, I've took some um, ibuprofen, and that has seemed to have, have uh, brought even the small fever down to normal. Um, but just have an abundance of caution. Um, don't want to submit other people to uh, to being close to me uh, with, with, with this low-grade fever. So I pray that God bless you the rest of the week. I, I pray that um, that tonight you find the Bible study edifying. I'm sorry that um, uh, I'm kind of a low energy tonight because I just um, I, I don't feel great, even though I don't have any symptoms. Just uh, you know, having a low grade fever just makes you feel kind of flush, and that's that's the way I feel. Uh, so I definitely want to thank you in advance for your prayers. I pray that you would. Uh, uh, go back and and catch up with our study. We we've only got three chapters left, and so uh, probably next Wednesday night we'll finish the book of Hebrews. Um, so if you've missed a study, go to our Facebook page or uh, or any of our other sites where you may watch our services, and and go back and watch our studies on the book of Hebrews. It is a beautifully eloquently written book um, that is written at such a high level. It's very impressive. And so I pray um, that God would continue to uh, give you insight and wisdom as you study his word. And again, I pray that you have a blessed week. Thanks so much and look forward to seeing you guys soon.